0: Earning is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 652, with Madeline Pratt. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 652. (music) All right, let's dive into today's episode. Madeline Pratt is the founder and CEO of Fearless Foundry, a creative consultancy that supports ambitious humans in building branding, marketing, and business development strategies that allow them to make a meaningful impact in the world. Madeline is an outspoken force for promoting equity, collaboration, and community in business, and she spends her time working with clients, creating content, hosting the Finding Fearless podcast, and leading her growing team. I had the pleasure of interviewing Madeline as well as being interviewed by her, and I can tell you she is the real deal. She walks the walk, and she lives the values she has posted on her walls and on social media, which we're going to talk about today. It's been so awesome to get to know her as we've guested on each other's podcasts, and I'm excited for you to get to know her as well. So listen in to hear Madeline share her story of having the rug pulled out from under her in her corporate career, how to access the cost of staying in a position that's not working for you power and significance of negotiating and advocating for yourself even if you don't get what you want how to assess if a company is aligned with your core values and if they're actively living the core values versus just plastering them up on the walls how having to go back to work 2 weeks postpartum fuels her work today around parental leave policies and how to start building a strategy and a plan if you want to make a career change or start your own business so with all that said please join me in welcoming Madeline Pratt to the Shameless Mom Academy Madeline,
1: welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy.
0: I'm so happy to have you here.
1: I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah.
0: Oh my goodness. Thank you. So I have to tell people you and I spoke yesterday when you interviewed me for your show. And so like, I feel like we're already totally warmed up and (laughs) like this conversation could go anywhere because now we're super good friends. Yeah. 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 So I'm very excited. Can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now?
1: Mm, I love this question. Thank you for asking. So I am a lot of things to a lot of people on any given day. The core of my professional work is about being in service to others and when I say others, really my truest, highest calling behind my work is being in service of what I call underrepresented founders. So this is you know, women, this is folks from the LGBTQ plus community, this is uh, founders of color. And to me, you know, my background and really my early career started in the world of technology and everywhere I looked, everybody building businesses looked the same. And they were, you know, young white guys with an idea who were getting, you know, millions of dollars of funding for an idea. And some of them were very successful and also nice humans. And some were just straight up trash. And regardless of how they performed, they were funded and they were given the opportunity to build a business and scale quite quickly and make money. And I loved some of the things I learned in that world, but I got really frustrated about the fact that there were not enough people being given the opportunity. And so many of my friends were starting companies and needing help when it came to their marketing or their branding or their business development. And so really I built a business around that. And so today, you know, I lead a team of 12 creatives. They're all amazing women who are, you know, just badasses in their own right we do work around branding, marketing, business development. But beyond that, you know, I work with founders on an individual level. You know, a lot of my work when I'm not coaching my team is coaching early stage entrepreneurs to help them scale successful business models. And, you know, I feel like, you know, my highest calling in life, I joke, is that like God in the universe puts me in the right place when somebody turns to me and is like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. (laughs) And so... I find myself in that place a lot. And so whether that's, you know, a text thread with a friend who's having a hard day inside her company, you know, or, you know, a call with a female founder who, you know, has entered into a new partnership with another entity and they're, you know, trying to screw over and she needs to renegotiate all day, every day. I'm just helping other people, you know, build strong businesses. And Outside of my work, you know, my work is a huge part of who I am, but outside of my work, I am a mom to wonderfully different, equally wild boy children who we're doing our best to raise, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest. I am a wife. I am a dog mom to a Yorkie who I'm obsessed with named Charlie. And, you know, really where my life is at right now, I'm in a season of, of really rediscovering myself, to be honest, you know, building a business is like having another baby, and so my mm-hmm. my, my my company is this. She, I yeah, know, she gave I gave birth to her on paper five years ago. You know, and I feel like it's like, you know, she's going off to kindergarten. And so, you know, there's like these hours in the day that I'm, they're not quite there yet. Like, actually, she'll probably really go off to kindergarten in the fall, but I'm starting to get more space to work on my writing. You know, I've got a memoir I've been working on for a long time to work on, you know, just traveling a little bit more traveling is a huge part of my identity and just to really reconnect with parts of myself that, you know, maybe took the back burner for a couple of years. Cause I was so busy building the business and being a mom and doing all those other things. And so I'm really excited to do that work on a personal level this year. And I'm really excited about my team, you know, part of my ability to enter this new chapter is cause I just have such amazing, incredible employees. I'm so proud of and, really I'm in this season of just coaching them into the next chapters in their careers. And that is something I love to do. So,
0: yeah, I love it. So when we first spoke also, I forgot at the beginning to give a shout out to Elena joy who connected us originally. So Elena Joy was on the show a few months ago and such an incredible conversation and interview that she and I did together. And so she connected us via email and she was like, I think you two need to know each other. We got on a zoom call to chat and just learn about each other's work. And in that experience or in that conversation, you told me about an experience that you had where I was like, okay, like I want you to come on the show and talk about this. So (laughs) you talked about having the rug pulled out from under you in your corporate career. And I want you to tell a little bit of that story. What I would love to hear most about though, is the rug was pulled out and I want to know what you learned around negotiating and advocating for yourself in the process. Cause this is where I think so many of our listeners are like, that's what I need more of is when we're in those seasons, which moms are in like heavy right now, two years into a pandemic where we feel like the rug is getting pulled out constantly, how do we stand up as advocates for ourselves? How do we negotiate? How do we get what we need and want out of a season, out of a situation and make things work for us instead of consistently trying to make things work for others?
1: Yeah. I'm really glad you asked these questions because I couldn't agree more. I think that we, as women, you know, the tables are not where they need to be yet, but covid has actually really shifted the dynamic of power into the hands of employees in a way like i've never seen before yeah. and it's a really critical time for women to be advocating for what they want in the workplace and just to lay some groundwork to the story you know i started my career in technology in around 2014 and i was very young i was a single mom really when i got into the early stages of my career and I just didn't know what I didn't know, and so I spent, you know, a couple years moving around through different tech companies, bringing my best, brightest ideas to the table. You know, working my ass off and just hoping to get to that next level and that next level. And every company I went to, I was being underpaid. I um, had situations at multiple, some of which I won't name because they're very large, publicly traded companies, but some companies at which. I repeatedly uncovered that there was a male counterpart who was, you know, underperforming by comparison to me, but getting overpaid. And by comparison, you know, one time, you know, there was a situation where it was like, my equivalent colleague, you know, was, we we were on performance-based compensation plans and I was performing at 300% of my quota and his quota was actually negative. We sold more in that territory when he didn't have a job there. And, you know, yet still, cause he had more quote unquote experience, he was making more money than me. And so I mm-hmm. kept on trying to find a company where I felt a fit for myself and really struggled to find that in the corporate environment. I kept on feeling like my ideas were just being extracted from me. I was not getting recognition. Oftentimes they were getting credited to a male leader. Every room that I was in, I was either the only, or maybe if I was lucky, there was like one or two other women in the room, but I was always the youngest. And I just didn't really get a lot of credit where credit was due. And, and I got to this point pretty quickly that most people you know, dream about, which is like, I'm working in a large tech company I'm making six figures, I'm 27 and I have a director level title, I'm leading a team. And so, you know, by all means, it was like, you should be so proud and happy of where you are. And I was for a little while, I really was. And I loved the company that I was working for. I still love the team that I've built to this day and have, you know, deep connection to the time that I spent there, which is why what happened next was so incredibly hard for me because... It was one of those companies where it's like, we're a family and we've got this culture. And I was so deeply connected to the founders and I still love them. But three years into my career there, I had entered into a new season in my life. I had gotten remarried. I had given birth to another child. And I, you know, both of my sons, when they were born, they just, you know, kids just make you reevaluate everything. and. I was at this pause point where I was like, I can't keep coming into the office five days a week. We had moved to Paulsbow, which is, you know, my office at the time was in downtown Seattle and the commute was like two hours round trip. And I spent the first six months of my baby's life, not seeing him. I went back to work when he was two weeks old because I was only offered six weeks paid maternity leave my leave at the request of my midwives had started early, earlier than I expected. My baby was supposed to be due the first week of January. And so I went on leave around Christmas because I was having a lot of contractions and, you know, my first son had come a little early. And so it was like, you need to sit on your butt. (laughs) So this baby doesn't come out of you and baby came two weeks late. And so four weeks of leave were already gone. And so by the time he was two weeks old, I was on a plane to Saster which is like the biggest tech conference in Oh in, my mommy the- heart <laughs> Oh my God, girl. Like it's not just I going back started, to work. Someone, it's like getting on a plane. I mean, like that's like two different oh things. Oh my god! Like- and like, I'm in like that big fucking diaper. <laughs> like yes. I'm in that big fucking diaper. I have, my nipples are like on fire. I like have nipple cream in my pocket. I am on getting on a plane with like, you know, that flabby belly that you feel so shit about. You know, my mom, bless her, came with me because of stuff going on with my husband's career. My oldest son is with me. So I'm literally- And like to the company's credit, they upgraded my suite. We made sure there was a pumping room at the conference, but like, I was one of like two sad moms in this pumping room. And, you know, every between break and session, going upstairs to feed my baby, my mom's with my newborn, my newborn's distraught. And finally, by the end of the conference, I couldn't take it. I strapped him to my chest and you would have thought that I had grown like eight arms. Like the men at this tech conference Watching me walk around with a baby, we're like, "What the fuck is that? Like, what what is that happening right now?" Yeah, and, and I was like, "I can't be away from my baby. He's two weeks old." Mm-hmm. And so I flew home, and I kept on trying to make it work for months. You know, I brought him into the office some days. I pumped constantly. I pumped at conferences because I still traveled a lot for work, and it was so hard. It was one of the hardest seasons of motherhood for me. And I got to this point about eight months in. Where I was like, something's got to give. I cannot, you know, we had moved and I was like, I can't commute two hours every day. And so I sat down with, you know, the founders and I said, I want to do things differently. I want to, you know, scale back my time in the office. You know, I had led the team remotely on and off over the course of the couple of years because I would travel so much. And also because of my maternity leave, it was like I had. You know, led the team virtually. We were all you know comfortable on Zoom because part of the team was in Australia, so we did all that stuff. And I said, look, you know, I'd like to just shift into a position where I'm like in the office, like two to three days a week tops, and I'm you know working remotely the rest. And I laid out the course of a new initiative I wanted to focus my time on, and you know, I really need to be guaranteed equity in this next phase of my role. And up until this point, you know, when they had hired me, equity was the back of the napkin agreement. I still have the emails. So if I wanted to enforce it, I really could have. But what happened next shocked me. The company came back and offered me a scaled down role. They offered me three days a week, three fifths of my salary and said, you can have the flexibility you want. We need you in the office these three days and we'll cut your pay. And that's how you could make that work for your life. And they knew I was the breadwinner in my household. They knew that I had been able to malice motherhood with my work. I had been a mom the whole time I worked for them. I had done that and still managed to travel up to 50% of the time at this point. I had grown. When I started, I was their first US employee. I had grown a team of 10 people. I had built their book of business to the multi-millions in the States, helped them launch a team in the UK. And, you know, I said, okay, you know, I'll have to think about this. I was helping the company with some big kind of strategic partnership work and was traveling to Toronto at the time. And I took out my phone app, my calculator app, and I took out a piece of paper and I took my last role, which had been at a different corporate environment. And I calculated on the back of the napkin, my previous salary, which I had taken a pay cut to join this company, but I was like, it was worth it to me because it was a startup and I was getting a director title and I was going to, you know, be, you know, getting equity and things like that. So I taken a pay cut. (laughs) So I wrote down my previous salary. I wrote what I knew the value of my benefits plan was on an annual basis, which my benefits had taken a bit of a cut to. I wrote down the stock options that I had been offered to stay As well as the stock options that didn't vest because I had left, and I wrote down, you know, I was guaranteed an annual, I think it was like a three to five percent cost of living wage increase, just based off of inflation. You know, I didn't even factor in, you know, that the share price had gone up, so my stock would have been worth even more. I didn't factor in, you know, what I would have received in bonuses because I didn't, you know, because I was a top performer on the team, and I just calculated if I had kept my butt in that previous seat and not even grown in the role that I had been before I was at this company, how much more money I would have had. And it was over $200,000. Oh,
0: So hard. start to get like little scabs and scratches, and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse. And so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship. And I got to put it to use immediately. And I got the ointment formula or the like ointment, formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect. So Vinny does not like mini, creamy lotiony things on his body, but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toes all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all Types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients. can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S. AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS.
1: I remember I was on this plane and my heart just broke wide open. And I was like, I literally cannot afford to stay. This has cost me so much. And that's not even factoring, you know, how emotionally I invested. I was going to say the emotional cost, you know, how much I loved, you know, my team. But I was like, I can't afford to stay here. I don't see a way for me to grow. I have given too much for the sake of somebody else's company, for the sake of somebody else's dream. I cannot afford to stay. And That was devastating because it's not like I had another offer on the table. I was not planning on leaving. I was just trying to renegotiate where I was at in the company and really clarify where I would go in the next three years. And so I just sat with it for a couple of weeks and I remember, you know, I had had this inkling in the back of my brain and I kept on getting approached more and more by other tech companies to do consulting work with them because they had met me through, you know, the partnership work I had helped negotiate. And I had started to have just more people on LinkedIn approach me to consult on business strategy and more and more my friends were starting businesses. And so I like kind of had this inkling, like, maybe there's something here, you know, and then I went to a tech company conference. And I ran into a couple people and the same thing happened. Would you come in and consult with our team? And it was just enough that I was like, I think if I cast this net, I will be able to land. I don't really know what's going to happen next. I definitely need to make some freaking money because my family is dependent on my salary and we're buying a new house. We have a tiny baby, but I can't afford to stay. And so I put in my resignation and I gave them 60 days. I pushed really hard to get all the women on my team promoted before I left. And I was like, if you're not paying my salary, they all deserve more pay. And I left and I started my own company. What did you learn about negotiation and advocating for yourself in that process? Sometimes it's not even about the money, Yeah. you know? And so I say this, like, I love negotiating. I think it's so important for women to advocate. And I think the stat is that like only 30% of women even negotiate for themselves when it comes to mm-hmm. a job offer. And I really want to change that statistic. And so when I hire people inside my company, I actually require that women counter the offers that we make them. Mm -hmm. And that counter can be something so small. Like one time, you know, a team member of ours countered and said, I realized you don't have a paid maternity leave policy. What are your plans around that? And I'm so glad she asked that because it pushed us to instate our paid maternity leave policy. And she was our first mom to take paid maternity leave this past year. I love that. Right. But it's like the counter is everything. But sometimes the counter is about so much more than money. It's about your value. It's about where you want to go. It's about is there a path for me to really grow here? And for me, it was about respect. And, you know, I've been in entities and organizations where they've offered me more money, where they've offered me more stock, where they've offered me more, more, more. But what I really wanted was something that they were not even thinking about putting on that paper, which was respect. Yeah. And to me, you know, you can say that you care about people all you want. I actually think it's a red flag for me when a company's like, we're a family because it's like, no, you're a (laughs) business. And to me, to watch the difference in disparity in terms of the way those team members took care of other people inside of the company or took care of themselves And to realize just that our core values were really in conflict. You know, again, I still love those folks to this day. I'm still really proud of the work I did, but I just, I couldn't compromise myself and my family. And that was what was on the negotiating table. And that was way more important to me.
0: I totally agree. And I want to add... The power and the significance of negotiating and advocating, even if you don't get what you want, because I think there's two things that can happen no matter the outcome is that first of all, you're just practicing speaking up. And that Mm -hmm. is like an incredibly valuable skill and imperative to women growing in leadership because to your point, only 30% of women do this. So just practicing speaking up and countering anything to be like, actually, I'm curious about this. Or actually, what about that? Like, that's just not a skill that we're given permission to practice on a regular basis. So we really do have to like decide to assert ourselves in that direction. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think that if you step up and you negotiate and advocate for yourself, so if you get what you want, awesome, of course. And if you don't get you want what you want, cool that you know now the values of the company, or how they value their employees yes. as soon as possible. Like you yeah. should know right away, if they're going to show their true colors, it's better to know it now than find out later. Yeah. And so while that can be uncomfortable and disappointing and heartbreaking and devastating, and maybe I even have to, you know, you might decide that that leads to a career change or a job placement change. That's an important thing to know up front. And I will say there's been times when I didn't do that because I felt like, oh, I don't want them to think that like I'm being like I'm a squeaky wheel or whatever. Well, once I had the position and I was on the inside and I was like, oh, this is gross. And now I'm going to be the squeaky wheel here anyway. And I should have just never ended up here. To begin
1: with. Totally, totally. And I mean, the thing that's interesting about this organization is I still in touch with team members and they've lost other team members, other good team members over things related to paid parental leave. Like, yeah. and it doesn't surprise me. And so- Yeah. It's a really important learning experience. And if there's one thing that I think is so critical to evaluate inside of an organization it is that core value piece. And like you said, finding it out as quickly as possible, because Mm -hmm. I joke because we do so much value-based work in our branding work with clients, but I always say it's like core values are not for a wall and a website. Unless you can show me how you're embodying them through action, they do not mean shit to me. Like, unless you can show me an example of what that actually means. Like in practice, it's just a nice thing that you put together during a branding exercise.
0: And I think that piece is so important. And that's actually right where I wanted to go next. So can you talk to us a little bit about how we can evaluate a company and brands to assess if they're really aligned with the values that they say they're upholding and therefore aligned with our values, or if they just are really like plastering some crap up on a wall?
1: Yeah. So this is really interesting because For me, I think, you know, and I reflect on the the past five years of my life a lot because, you know, of the season I've been through in terms of starting my own business and everything that I went through and leaving my corporate career and core values were a huge part of that transformation process. And I think that the first piece that we have to start with is getting really clear on what our core values are. It's very easy to know what they aren't. Like we'll see it and we'll feel it in our body and we'll be like, ew, gross. No, like I don't like that. That's easy. But, and at least for me, like candidly speaking, I don't think my core values fully solidified until my frontal lobe did, which was like, you know, around that like 28 range. And so I think the first piece of this process is clarifying our values first. And there's amazing exercises like just go to the internet, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my therapist has one that she like recommends that couples do. It's like a core value card set and you like start with 50 and then you like distill it down to 10. And if you're really challenging yourself, you distill it to five. I've done that. I cried. I was so mad. It was so
0: hard and like so hard. And I uh, calls into question all of your ethics as a human. It's very hard, but it's really valuable.
1: It's really valuable. And it's really valuable to rank them And to use them, because to me, it's like the core value is a filter that you do all of your decision-making through. Like, am I in alignment? Am I in integrity? Like, And again, don't just like be like, okay, a core value of mine is integrity. Great. Love it. What does that mean to you? So like define it, define it in one sentence. So for example, like I have a core value around sustainability and sustainability means to me that I am aligning myself with entities, individuals, organizations, and practices that are not extracting resources from others in an unsustainable way. And so the value of sustainability for me is like, that has to do with the way I purchase products, but it also has to do with like the way that I engage with other people. Because if I just show up and I'm just like an energy vampire, that's unsustainable. And it's also fucking rude, but it's like, (laughs) but it's like, that's a core value of mine. And so one is like this piece of like define your own core values first, bring them to the table And then get really critical. So like one, like see if they showcase it anywhere. Are they saying it on their walls or their websites? Like if they don't even have them physically present, like that's a red flag to me. Secondly, see if there is consistency. You know, everybody has an internet web trail where women are great at being like internet detectives, like go full Sherlock, Go through their social media, go through the content that they're producing, go through their LinkedIn pages, all of those things, you know, like, are they sharing those values in a public way? Are they practicing what they preach? Then if you get so far as engaging with an entity, ask those questions in an interview and don't just ask them from one person, but ask them from everyone. And quite frankly, like the lower level, the employee, the better, in my opinion, because, how you treat your lowest ranking employees is so reflective of your core values and so reaching out to somebody on the team or if you're you know in one of these like round table interview types of situations come prepared and figure out who on that team you know has quite frankly the least to lose by being honest and ask them like how do you feel aligned with the company's core values how do you feel like they're showing up for them in practice and see what people say. And if that person gets squirrely and just like gives you an answer where you're like, Hmm, I think they're only saying that because their boss is in the room. Like be aware of that shit, you know, because yeah. it, again, you know, it is so much more about how they show up in practice and living, breathing examples of those values than what people say, you know, it's about what they do in these instances. Absolutely.
0: I totally agree. And I love your example of speaking to people at different levels. Cause sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to like ask my friend or I'm going to ask like my contact or the person that's the same level as me. And I absolutely agree. It's like that trickle down effect is so significant. You mentioned parental leave and you mentioned, you gave this example, this like really glaring example of your own situation when you had your son And then you also gave the example of someone coming to you and considering working for you and asking that question around how you were going to provide parental leave. So can you talk a little bit about why it's so crucial for the U S to establish comprehensive and paid parental leave leave, and paternal, but parental leave to make it possible for women to have thriving families and fulfilling careers. And then I also want to talk about the consequences of not having this in place, which I think we're, oh, we're seeing in so many ways, but let's just talk about why it's
1: important first. Thank you for letting me get on my soapbox. I am not going (laughs) to preach from the pulpit. Um, Because this is, I mean, obviously an issue that is very personal to me based off of my experience. But like I said before, you know, having an employee show me my own blind spot, right? Because I was just building things based off of the team I had, which at the time was like three employees and none of us were having kids anytime soon. Like I was like, I'm done. And so building that inside my company was a really big awakening on how far off we are at the level of making it possible for businesses to support their employees in taking paid leave and I was a little bit naive in that situation because I knew all the data like I had watched like you know Netflix and Google and these big corporations and companies that I had been been a part of prior to my last role in corporate you know, roll out, leave on their own, right? You know, take the initiative and say, you know, the government isn't there yet, but we're a big business and we believe in investing in people. And the data shows that like, if you give, you know, six months paid parental leave, people come back, they're more productive. They're more loyal. They actually, I think the number was like, I'll get it wrong, but it was somewhere between when Google first experimented with this, they found out the cost savings of offering a pilot paid parental leave program actually saved the business somewhere between one and 2 billion with wow. a B dollars because of the cost it would have taken to find recruit right. and train and get up to speed. Those em- new employees, because when they didn't offer it, moms came back up six weeks unpaid leave and left because here in America, that's the federal requirement is six mm-hmm. weeks unpaid. We just have to hold a fucking spot mm-hmm. and that's it. And that's so wildly unacceptable. And you know, this too, it's like your body has not even healed. And that's, oh that's God. hoping you had a natural childbirth, like, or some level of no major medical intervention. Six weeks is the minimum requirement. Oh, yeah. I could,
0: could not put done. on a bra in six weeks oh, like, no. and I mean, my boobs were not small. Like I could not have gone into the workplace and been appropriately
1: dressed. I yet. was a scary robot lady. Cause I had one of those fancy willow pumps at my desk all day. <laughs> like or, 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 or. I was a human milk factory attached to a zoom screen. Like it was so bad. And it was you know, humiliating and I felt so unproductive and so distracted and I got so depressed from being away from my baby. And no woman deserves that, but quite frankly, no parent deserves that. Yeah. And when you look at it, other countries that have paid parental leave, the correlations are incredible. The correlations between paid parental leave policies, and the lack of domestic violence in those countries. The correlations between paid parental leave and child abuse and neglect, all the numbers go down because you have a bonded family unit that is healthy. You have, I mean, it is just amazing what the data shows that how important and healthy this is for not only the the development of kids, but for our society. And those numbers don't lie, but what is happening in our country is there are businesses that are ahead of the curve like mine who are filling that gap. And I'm not gonna lie, it's really expensive. It is very expensive to cover the salary of someone who's not also there producing work. And that's what we did. And luckily for us, you know, we're based in Washington and the one employee that took it so far was based in Washington as well. And Washington has launched in the past year a family leave policy that they cover 14 weeks and they cover it up to 90%, but the process was a nightmare for us mm-hmm. to navigate as a business. It was a brand new process. The mom, you know, barely got did, it took three weeks for her to get her first check. And there was all sorts of back and forth with the States, nothing that a new mom should be navigating. Right. And we didn't know how to do it because it was the first time we were doing it. We've bungled it. royally. we will do better next time. But again, that was only offered because she lived in Washington and mm-hmm. We have so many employees around the country who are not in Washington. Mm-hmm. And so what is needed and long overdue is for our federal government and to step in and say families are a priority. And mm-hmm. we have the resources to do it. The amount we spend on guns and fucking nonsense in this country, as opposed to supporting families is hellacious. And I hope my deepest hope is that we are in a position where we can make strides around this and that the pandemic has helped push the need for this forward, because it's not just needed for moms. It's needed for dads. It's needed for non-binary folk. It's needed for a person who adopts a child, all of that is so critical. And we can't just put it on the back of business owners like me to, you know, put their revenue on the line to be able to make that difference. It's the responsibility of our government to step in and support families. And this is what I am
0: seeing is like small woman-owned businesses who want to make this a priority. And then they're like, holy cow, like this needs to be a priority. And also this is such a massive expense and to, to try I mean, to take it back to values, to be like, we want to live this as a value as a company. And the cost is just, Unbearable, if not impossible. It's extremely frustrating to be in that position versus the opportunity that big companies have to step up and step into this, and with the affordability that they have to roll out stuff like
1: this, it's so maddening Mm -hmm. and gross. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Google, right? I'm not. Yes, that's exactly. I'm not not making you know billions of dollars in annual profit that I can reinvest in my people. I do it because it's the right thing, Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't be, you know, something that has the potential to undo the bottom line of my business, you know, just because I'm trying to do what's right for a new mom. Absolutely.
0: This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences
2: in school. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above
0: So how can someone put a strategy and plan in place if they are wanting to make a career change and whether that is moving professionally within the same space that they've, you know, that they're currently in, maybe looking for a lateral move, maybe they want to change companies, or if it is a career change, like changing fields or if it's something like starting out, starting their own business, how does someone start to put a strategy in place and start to make moves? And I ask this because I know so many of us are in this position around reevaluating values because of the pandemic. And we've seen it's like multi-part, like we've seen the need to be able to accommodate our family in different ways. And then we've also like everywhere's hiring. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you're like, well, I don't know, maybe I should go over there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of a sudden we have like, we're like, there's kind of a lot of options right now. So how do we start to put up strategy in place as we explore for folks who are exploring changes and growth in this direction?
1: So I love talking about this and I also want to break my answer down into two parts because The strategy in my mind is very different if you're making just a career or role change than it is if you're starting a company. Those are two very different um, paths to embark on. And they're all, I mean, the world is really your oyster right now. And one of the things that I cannot wait to witness and be connected to is just the changes that are going to unfold over the next couple of years as women decide what's best for them. And particularly, I can't wait to see all the businesses that I know that are going to be built by women who looked around and were like, I don't want to work at any of these places. So I'm going to start something of my own. I mean, that's how I got into what I'm doing. And I can't wait to connect with more female founders on that journey. But on the side of making a career change and, you know, either switching, you know, your your company you work for, or possibly, you know, reinventing what it is you do for work inside of somebody else's company. You know, I think that it really starts with just taking some space to connect with yourself, you know, taking some space to be out of the day-to-day of what you're doing, even if it's just taking three or four days off of work, using some time off to really reconnect with what are you passionate about? What are your dreams? And I, I talk about this in a little bit of a morbid way, but I think about, you know, what are the things that when you are at you know, your funeral someday, somebody's reading a eulogy. You know, what do you want people to say about you as it pertains to the work you did in the world? And that sounds a little bit morbid, but to me, I think it's really important to think about your future legacy to use to lead you in the direction of what you want to do next. Because for me, it's at the how I do the work has never mattered as much as the fact that the work is contributing to a higher calling that I have. And so reconnecting, what is that dream? What is that passion? What is that vision? What is the work that you do that you just, it feels so good that it's easy. And I think that, you know, one of my gripes with our, you know, culture and quite frankly, particularly entrepreneurial culture is this like this hustle vibe that's been a part of things lately. Yeah. Cause I actually think when you're doing your highest work, it's like, it feels so good that you're like, oh my God, I get paid to be on a podcast all day long. Like what what is my life? (laughs) Like, right. Like, like, like that's when you know, you're, you're like in true alignment. And so I love to take that space and tell people to take that space to just be like, what would you do if you could do anything all day long? And sometimes when people take that space, they're like, oh my God, I would start my own business. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes they are like, oh, I would love to work for this company, or I would love to change careers, or I would love to You know, work in this industry, and so using that little like light that exists within all of us to kind of guide you to that next step, and then to strategize and say, you know, what is that next step that is going to lead me in that direction? You know, is that you know going back to school? Is that you know building up some skills so that I can step into a higher level role? Um, Is that just you know starting to look at job postings and seeing where I would want to land? Is that doing some networking to meet some new People, you know, and figuring out like what are those next baby steps you need to take over the next couple of months, and really making sure that you have an outcome in mind. You know, what is the timeline you have for the transition, and when do you need to make the leap by? What is the outcome you want? You know, is that a higher salary? Is that a new title? Is it, you know, a new job inside a new company? Like, defining that outcome you're after and then defining, okay, what are the baby steps that I can start taking over the next couple of weeks to put that plan into action? So that's that side of the equation. The starting your own business is like, that's a podcast in itself. Um, But what I will say here is that if that light calls to you and says like, I need to create a company of my own, you really need to put some support systems around you. Part of that is monetary. I wish that The world we lived in was really different, but especially if you are a woman, especially if you are a person of color, especially if you are coming out of an environment that isn't super privileged, you need money in the bank to build a business. And I will just be straight up and tell you a bank is not going to give you shit um, until you have three years worth of financials. I hope that'll change someday, but unless you've got a really grand idea and the ability to go out and get it funded, which is a very grueling process. And oh, by the way, you know if you are a woman or a woman of color, your likelihood of getting that money is a 2% chance. So those are the odds and I hope they change, but that's what we're working with right now. And so when I built my company, I had $20,000 in the bank that I had hoarded up over the course of it a year and when i left the job that i had i pushed for them to pay out all my unused pto and so that kind of built that coffer i wish i had had 50 to 75000 quite honestly but i made it do with what i had and i used credit cards and things like that and you know i don't recommend that strategy but you've got to do what you got to do so getting your financial house in order is key getting your support system around you in the way of people who are going to back that because I'm sorry, but your friends and family are going to just want to keep you safe. And they're often going to go like, what are you doing? You should have just kept your normal job. Are you okay? Like, I'm worried about you. Like, so get some entrepreneur friends around you who can support you, whether it's going well or whether it's sucking and get your monetization strategy in order. I love... A good idea, but good ideas are a dime a dozen. If you don't have a clear path on how you're going to turn that into revenue within the first three months, you don't have a business on your hands, you have a hobby. And so those are like the three key things that I would really have people focus on if they're going to start a company of their own.
0: Oh, those were really, really good. I want to just apply a couple of those to what I've done because just to, for the sake of example. So I love what you said in the first part of the question, when you were talking about like thinking things through and like taking little steps over time, I think sometimes we're like, Oh, but I want to like quit this thing next week in order to start the next thing the week <laughs> after. And really so much of it is like, and this is how I've always done it. I've been in multiple positions where I'm like, I am going to milk everything I can out of this while I strategize what the next step is. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I've done that in a couple different situations, one in corporate and one in the fitness before I had branched out into my own fitness thing where I was like, I know that this is an awful boat to be on right now, but I'm going to sit here while they're paying me Mm -hmm. and figure some things out so that when so I can really leverage myself when I'm just ready to like jump off the boat. And it was, I'm so glad I took that time to be thoughtful and strategic, even though it meant staying in situations that I couldn't stand for a few months on both of those situations. Um, it totally paid off. So I think like nothing needs to be a today decision. And then the other piece about money I've never taken out a small business loan aside from some of the stuff that's come out of like PPP stuff that's come out of COVID. And that isn't to say, like, pat myself on the back, like, I've never taken out a small business loan. It's just, it honestly did not occur to me because I was so naive when I started out that I just stockpiled money. As I could. And I didn't have like mortgages and houses and children and like all of those. Th- I was like single by myself. So it was like a very <laughs> lower risk scenario. Yeah. But I think that when you said like hoarding money for, to get that $20,000, that's what I did when I was starting my own business initially, many, many years ago. And then when I wanted to ultimately like open up my own fitness business, it was like, okay, like, Could I stockpile $50,000, which is what I ended up doing over the course of a decent chunk of time. But that gave me that opportunity to open up my own physical location without taking out a loan. And that took time and thoughtfulness for sure. But then what I've done every time I've made a pivot since then is like, okay, like I'm going to spend X amount of time stockpiling in this scenario that I'm in, that's like working for me before I make the next move so that I have that little bit, I have a bit of a nest egg there so that that gives me some time in the new thing. And also in the new thing, I want to know really quickly how I can monetize. And it doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. like a fast track to seven figures, but it needs to be like, I know that if push comes to shove, here's a way that I can make money on this in the first couple of months, if my back is up against the wall. And so I think all those pieces become really important. And some of that stuff I did knowing that I was doing it. And some of it is just like looking in hindsight, like, Oh, I'm really glad I did that thing that worked out. And now I'm like, that was like unintentionally really smart. And I will tell other people to do the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I feel that, especially the fast track to monetization. Like I did it cause I had to, like, I stepped out of a six figure salary and was like, my family is used to a paycheck of that size hitting the bank account every month. So I need to figure that out fast. Yeah. And You know, that is also the area that I see, particularly a lot of female founders struggle is because, you know, we have issues around our worth or around scarcity, you know, that by the way, those are projected on us by the patriarchy, it's not your fault. But, you know, I see that show up when we start to charge, you know, in our business. And so I often, you know, when early stage female founders come to me when I'm coaching them, you know, it's often at a moment where they, they can't get over that six figure mark and they can't figure out why, and it's because you know they're often undervaluing themselves, and then therefore not really able to take a paycheck or a good paycheck because they're investing so much in getting the business off the ground. You know they're the last to get paid. And you know I worked with a client you know three months ago. Well, in the last three months, we've been working together for a bit longer, but in the last three months, she has tripled her monthly revenue, and it's because of this emphasis on monetization. It's so critical to put yourself first inside your company and to really be clear on the money you want to be make and be fucking proud of that too. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing to want to work hard and make good money doing it.
0: Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Such good stuff. Madeline, tell us how you are currently showing up as
1: a shameless mom. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, case in point today, you know, I was handed yet another covid curveball. We're on our second or third childcare closure for my youngest, my he's, he's almost not even a toddler anymore. He's 4. My youngest is 4 and, you know, today was a day where I was like School is closed and I've got to make it work. I feel like that's a lot of momming right now It's just making Mm. it work. I'm blessed enough to have good childcare and to have a nanny who helps us out part time. I think it's really important for moms to talk about their care infrastructure because I don't do it alone. Like I couldn't operate at the level I do if it wasn't for all the women that help care for my kids. And I am internally grateful for those women. And, you know, last night it was looking at the calendar over the next 10 days and figuring out where I can flex and figuring out where I am not going to budge because I'm also running a business. And my husband does have paid time off for sick leave. He's a firefighter. And so he can flex in different ways that I can't, you know, if I take three days off, you know, my business suffers and my mental health suffers. And there's certain things I can't get done, you know, with my toddler. And so there were a couple of days where I was like, I can work from home those days. That's fine. I can, you know, have my little pony on in the background. And there were some things that I was not willing to move. You know, I come to the city one day a month, really, maybe once every two months, I come to Seattle because I have to get my hair done. And, you know, I was like, I'm not compromising on that. Alder can hang out with Danielle today. You know, he might get a little too much screen time but you know, he's going to think it's really fun and I can still get what I need. And that's something that I'm really working on as in my motherhood is recognizing that when I put myself first, I'm actually a much, much better mom. And my kids don't suffer because of that. 100%. Madeline,
0: tell people where they can find you and connect with you and follow you online
1: all the places I run at creative agency. So I am all over the internet. So you can find me, you know, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I hate Facebook, so don't connect with me there. So <laughs> I will just, you know, I'll, I'll be rude and not accept your request for like 400 years. Cause I never log on, but Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, you can just find me by searching for Madeline Pratt. Um, my handle is at Madeline K Pratt. And if you're curious about my company and the work we do, we are at fearless foundry all over the internet and fearlessfoundry.com. Awesome. Fantastic. I will have all of this linked up in the show notes so people can go
0: to shamelessmom.com and they can click on the episode with Madeline Pratt and get access to all the goodies. Madeline, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm just so grateful that you took some time to share all this goodness with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me.